0: With the prices of everything going up, especially the cost of first-time homes, but also childcare, furniture, and even diapers, many parents of adult children may find it necessary to help out their kids as they get started and are having trouble making ends meet, making financial plans for the future, or getting that first home to get into the real estate market. While many older parents want to help out their kids financially for a variety of reasons, they may not want to help out their spouses of those kids. So in this edition of the Ontario Family Law Podcast, I will explore some ways that parents can help out their adult children without also giving it to their children's spouses or partners. I'm John Schumann, a certified specialist in family law in Ontario. I'm also a mediator, arbitrator, and collaborative lawyer. This podcast is a companion to my book, Guide to the Basics of Ontario Family Law, which is available on the iBookstore, Amazon, Kobo, and in fine bookstores. Parents with adult kids often want to give those kids some money or help them out with a house. But those parents want to help out their own kids, not someone else's kids. So they don't want their child, spouse or partner to get the money. (laughs) As I will go over, there are several ways to do that. But as will also be clear, not all of them work in every situation, and some can have the opposite effect in specific circumstances. Usually the best option is to require a marriage contract or a cohabitation agreement, although sometimes that can be awkward, so some other options may seem better. Oh. But with so many variables and potentially different laws at play, parents who want to protect the money that they are giving their kids should really sit down with a good family law lawyer to talk about the specifics of their situation and come up with the best plan. Oh. Let's start with wedding gifts. If parents want to give their child some money, should they do it before or after the wedding? That depends on what the money is going to be used for. Hmm. If the money is to help with a house, then the parents want to give it to their child before the wedding, but not much before a wedding. What they want to do is give the money in a way that makes sure that it is still money in their child's bank account and not a joint account with the child's spouse as that confuses who the gift was for, on the date of marriage. It is important that the money not already be invested into buying a home on the date of marriage. In previous episodes and in greater detail in my book, I have gone over how property division works at the end of a marriage in Ontario. With some exceptions, married couples share in the growth of their net worth during the marriage and do not share what they already had on the wedding date. Although they would share in any increase in value on assets that a spouse brought into the marriage. But Ontario law has a big exception to that with regard to matrimonial homes more information about matrimonial homes again check out the early episodes or my book the big problem that we are trying to avoid helping children out with the house is that under ontario's family law act in the absence of a marriage contract when a couple separates while living in the same home that one of them brought into the marriage the spouse that brought the home into the marriage gets absolutely no credit for doing so all of the value in the home is shared between the spouses so if parents give money to their child before the wedding and the child uses the money to buy a home before the wedding but the couple breaks up while they still live in that same house the entire value in the home including the parent's gift is shared between the spouses. But if the child uses the money to buy the house after the wedding then the adult child gets a credit for having that money on the date of marriage oh. which means if the spouses separate the child who receives the gift will have less to share. Essentially the amount of the gift still belongs to that adult child. Oh, yeah. So some parents think it might be easier to just make the gift after the marriage. Hmm. That definitely has some advantages, as long as the money is not put into a home in which the spouses will live. When a person receives a gift or inheritance during a marriage, both that gift and any increase in value in that gift and an asset into which that gift can be traced are completely excluded from the property division process. <laughs> That's better than making a gift before a wedding because then the only credit is for the amount of the gift on the date of marriage. But for gifts after the marriage, if the value of the gift goes up, so does the amount of the credit when property is divided. But there is a major but to how that works, and it is a major problem. If the gift is invested into a matrimonial home, the home where the spouses live together, the exclusion is lost. (laughs) The gift becomes part of the matrimonial home. The value of the matrimonial home is shared, which means the gift is shared. So giving a gift during the marriage is not a good idea. If that gift will be invested into a matrimonial home. Also, in order for a spouse to be able to keep the gift out of the property division scheme, that gift must still exist on the date of separation. If the spouse spends that gift on a vacation, second honeymoon or otherwise, then there is nothing to keep out of the property division scheme the money is gone, but if the gift was made right before the wedding, then the adult child gets credit for bringing that money into the marriage, and that credit still exists even if he or she spends the gift during the marriage. Mm. This illustrates why it is a good idea to speak to a lawyer before making any significant gift to ensure the money goes where the parent wants. Uh. These types of problems can be fixed with a marriage contract. I have gone over all the rules for marriage contracts in previous episodes and in my book. One requirement is that both spouses have lawyers who should ensure everyone follows the rest of the rule. Why don't you have your lawyer call my lawyer? As it is not uncommon for adult children to have different objectives, needs, and desires than their parents, the parents will need to see a lawyer too. It's best if they want to make sure their child's marriage contract protects the gift they want to make. Also, there can be some uncomfortable but necessary discussions that unless there is a marriage contract in place, there will be no gift. That's a way for the child to get his or her spouse on board with the marriage contract. That spouse may not want to give up what he or she is entitled to under the law by signing a contract, but if that money won't appear at all without the contract, that can be motivation to sign. And the parents can have their lawyers be the bad guy insisting on the contract, rather than having that difficult conversation with an in-law or potential in-law. Marriage contracts can also change the way that spouses deal with matrimonial homes and separation. So with a contract, a spouse can put gifted money into the home and get a credit. While we're on the subject of contracts, we should talk about common law spouses and cohabitation agreements. As I've gone over in previous episodes and in my book, Living common law is very different from being married. For one thing, there is no equalization and no automatic property division for common law couples. Oh. To start, everything is divided by who owns it. That means that if one partner puts a gift into a jointly owned home, the presumption will still be that the house will be divided equally. That can mean losing the gift. We're <laughs> dividing by title results an unfairness. There are some things that can be done about that, which I covered in detail in my book and in previous episodes where one partner has put more money or effort into a property or other assets than his or her share on title would indicate, that partner can make a claim in equity to have a judge say that partner deserves more. That can mean that partner can get an interest in the house, even an inherited house, even though he or she is not on title. Although contributions are supposed to be substantial for someone to get an interest in someone else's assets, some judges set the required contribution very low. So when a couple moves in together, they should seriously consider a cohabitation agreement. And a partner's parents may want to make sure a cohabitation agreement is in place before they gift a home or money for a home. Ah. There are some other options to protect gifts, although they are usually not as guaranteed as a marriage contract or a cohabitation agreement and usually they are more complicated. Sometimes they can avoid some difficult conversations, which is why some families like them, but getting these set up really requires some legal advice. Why don't you have your lawyer call my lawyer? Gifts to a trust may be possible, but there can be serious tax issues and there can be some considerations about making sure beneficiaries are treated fairly. There are also considerations about grandchildren becoming part of a trust. Note that property in a trust is owned by the trust, not by the beneficiaries, so the child does not actually get the gift until sometime down the road, oh. which is how the trust might protect the property from property division. But an interest as a beneficiary of a trust counts as property to be divided at the end of a marriage, so just making a child a beneficiary may not protect the gift from being shared. <laughs> Also, a legal principle known as the rule against perpetuities can mean that a trust might expire before a marriage or relationship does, requiring more legal maneuvering to accomplish the objectives. Some parents gift money for a house by giving a mortgage for which they may not expect to be repaid. But to ensure that if the partners separate, the mortgage is considered a mortgage and not a gift, then the mortgage would have to be registered on title, and there has to be proper loan terms and a repayment schedule that is being followed. Mm. All that will require the involvement of lawyers. Also, unlike gifts made during the marriage, or gifts that may be protected by a marriage contract, Mortgages generally don't increase in value, so the amount of credit for the gift does not grow with the value of the house or inflation. If the parents want to see some return on their investment in the mortgage, it will have to be repaid with interest, and then perhaps the parents can gift the money received again at a later date. Giving money to start a business can have some similar complications as homes for common-law couples. Where a spouse makes a lot of contributions, either money or work, to a business, he or she may be able to claim an interest in the business even without having any shares. It is usually better for a gifting parent to keep shares in the business, although an upset in-law can still make a claim against those if there is no marriage contract or cohabitation agreement. Still, a parent who put money into a business to get shares should have an argument to get that money out again. Again, it is wise for parents to speak to a lawyer about how to best protect their investment, especially where it is intended as a gift to help get things started. If a marriage contract or cohabitation agreement is not possible, a shareholder's agreement may offer some protection, but often not as good, especially where the adult child spouse or partner does not know about the agreement. Mm. With the economy and housing prices the way they are, it is often necessary for parents to help out their adult children to get started, especially as those children start families of their own. But when the parents want to protect that gift for their child and keep it away from their child's spouse or partner, the parents really do need to speak to a lawyer. Often the best alternative is a marriage contract or cohabitation agreement, which requires separate lawyers for everyone involved. Why don't you have your lawyer call my lawyer? The other options, which are more complicated, will definitely require some skilled legal help which you can get by calling my office at 416-446-5847 to make an appointment to speak with either me or one of my colleagues. If you need some more general family law or children's law guidance or you need to understand Ontario family law better so you can make better decisions, if you need to know the best parenting options after separation or if you need to understand how finances work during a marriage or a common-law relationship and after separation or divorce, get a copy of my book guide to the basics of Ontario Family Law. You can access it immediately on the iBookstore or Amazon for the Kindle version, or you can download it for Kobo. Amazon can deliver the paperback version directly to your doorstep. You can also get a lot more Ontario Family Law information on www.schumanlaw.ca. Not only are there hundreds of pages of Family Law information and links, but there are links to get my book and links to reach my office to meet with either me or one of my colleagues. You can also set up an appointment to speak to us by calling 416-446-5847. It is always best to get a lawyer who can give you expert advice that's specific to your situation. In addition to my website, keep up to date on family and children's law issues by liking my Facebook page, following me on Twitter at SchumanFamLaw, and finding me on LinkedIn. Of course, please subscribe to my YouTube channel and hit the notification bell to keep up to date. You can get the audio versions of the Ontario Family Law Podcast on all major podcast services, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many more. Or you can get all the episodes at www.schumanlaw.ca. Just look for podcasts in the drop-down menu. Thanks for participating in this podcast. We will get together again soon.